Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Now today's episode takes us into the fifth inning of Game 2, where we sit down with Associate Head Coach at Bradley University, Kyle Truen. Now this episode, uh, to get Coach Truen on here is a big deal. Uh, he's, he's an old friend of mine, a college teammate, um, and he was my catcher uh, in college. So absolutely love this conversation. I believe you will as well. Um, KT goes into uh, his journey uh, as a high school player, as a college player, um, his coaching background, and all the stops along the way that landed him at Bradley University. Also, his role as a uh, hitting coach, um, catching coordinator, uh, what he looks for in the recruiting trail, and so much more. Before we get started, just want to remind you to subscribe and share uh, these episodes in whatever fashion that may be so you get notifications uh, wherever podcasts are free. And without further ado, Associate Head Coach, Hitting, Catching, and Recruiting Coordinator at Bradley University, former Whippet and Wolf, Kyle Truen. KT, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Well, hey, thanks for jumping on here. Um, hey, for the listeners, just kind of give us your background. What are your ties to the state of Wisconsin? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so uh, grew up in Whitewater um, most of my life, uh, you know, moved kind of all over South Florida as a young kid. Um, but my parents were originally from the Midwest and then um, moved up to Whitewater. Uh, so did most of my growing up there, um, you know, and was, was lucky to grow up in Whitewater for a number of reasons, but uh, baseball specifically, it was a big, a big baseball town, you know, and it, I think it still is to an extent, but um, you know, the big thing with, with baseball in town was, was Lynn held and, and what he kind of created with the baseball program there in the community. And um, I think that, you know, looking back on it, that's probably a big reason why I, I am where I am today is just, you know, growing up there and, and, and playing for him and, uh, and, and playing uh, for the Whippets. So fortunate to grow up in Whitewater for sure. All right. So tell us more about your playing career. So after, after Whitewater, where to take you next? Yeah, I mean, you know as well as anybody, brother, uh, Cardinal Stritch University, man, um, in Milwaukee. Loved it, loved my, my time there playing for Coach Zalecki um, and, and Coach Gotzler there for one year as the, as the assistant coach my sophomore year. Um, was a catcher there for four years and, and stayed on as an assistant for, for one year um, and, and kind of got my start in college coaching there at Stritch. Um, really, a, you know, a good experience for me. You know, I know that it's – that small school environment, that kind of thing. And, and that's what I needed when I was, when I was that 18 to 22 year old range. Um, but yeah, I love my time at stretch and, and still keep in contact with a lot of guys I've played with there. And, you know, I, I think that it had a lot to do with where I am today, you know, playing at that, that kind of small school environment. Um, you know, it definitely has, has kept that chip on my shoulder, so to speak, uh, you know, coaching at the college level and, and now the division one level. So, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you get into coaching as even as a high school kid, you're thinking, you know, that could be a career path for you. So talk us through your coaching career. What led you to Bradley? Um, yeah. So a, a lot of different stops, but, you know, I think I was like, you know, most guys that I, you know, I, I thought I'd probably end up coaching um, from a pretty young age. I thought that it was something I wanted to do. I, I fell in love with the game early, um, you know, and like I said, growing up in Whitewater around Coach Held, who was just such a good baseball man, um, it, it definitely brought on that passion to coach. And so when I went to college, um, I had intended on, you know, being a, a teacher and, and being a high school baseball coach. I mean, that's, that's really where I thought I would end up. Um, and I got later on into, into college and started to realize that, you know, maybe I wanted to try the college coaching thing. Um, I'd had such a good experience in high school that I, you know, I didn't think it'd get more fun than that, right? Like growing up with your buddies and, and, and playing with them growing up all the way through little league and different things. And then you get to play with them in, in high school and go try to win a state championship. And I didn't think it'd get any better than that. And I got to college and realized, man, this is, this is where it's at. Um, and so I can remember the, the conversation I had with, with Coach Zalecki. I think it was late in my junior year. And I just said, hey, you know, what do I got to do to, um, you know, to make this into a career? And um, I was sitting there with my, my girlfriend at the time, now my, my wife. And, and he, uh, he said, listen, man, you're going to have to, number one, get out of here. You, you got to get somewhere with a, 
a bigger name that's going to win a bunch of ball games. And, and I'm not going to lie to you, brother. You know your your uh, your relationship's going to suffer. He said something like that. And um, you know, I think that we both understood the sacrifices it was going to take. And um, that's kind of when I set my mind on on doing it. And so I finished playing and uh, was fortunate enough to be able to stay on with Coach Zalecki and be an assistant there for a year. And then got the call to be the uh, the Catholic Memorial High JV baseball coach for for you. Um, and it was great just to get my feet wet and, and, and kind of start like that. Um, and from there, I, I knew that I had to move on and, and try to find somewhere else after I had earned my degree at, at Stritch. Um, and, you know, the, for the first time, it, the whole thing of it's not what you know, it's who you know in, in the world um, really came into play for me. Um, I had, you know, tried to get different jobs as a graduate assistant kind of all over the country, wasn't really getting many hits or anything like that. Um, and then a buddy of mine that I played summer baseball with in college named Ty Fadness. Um, he was a player at Minnesota Duluth and uh, had coached there as well. And he was going to be done after, uh, after that spring in, in 2011. Uh, and so I contacted Ty and said I was interested. And uh, he put me in contact with the head coach at, at UMD, Bob Rents. And um, I ended up going to, to Minnesota Duluth for a year. I uh, was able to, to start on my master's degree there uh, through the U of M. Um, everything was online. Uh, so it was awesome. I got to experience, you know, what it was like to really be a full-time college baseball coach. Um, and, you know, anybody out there who knows Bob Rentz knows he's really meticulous and, and detail-oriented. So to have my first real coaching job be for a guy like that, that, you know, showed me what it was like to work in the office as a baseball coach and showed me what it was like to plan practices and, and just get the full, you know, overview of, of being a college coach was, was awesome. Bob was, was as good as anybody I could have had at that time. Um, you know, and, and Bob was really good too about like, Hey, Kyle, listen, if there's jobs that open up that you're interested in, you need to apply for them because it's really difficult to, to get full-time positions in, in college coaching. And so if there's anything that, you know, piques your interest, just let me know about it and, and I'll try to help you out. Um, so the master's program there at, at UMD was supposed to be done over two years, but like I said, it was, it was online. So I had some flexibility to, to be able to move and, and kind of finish it anywhere. Um, and lo and behold, the, the volunteer assistant coach position at Bradley opened up um, late in, in August of 2012. And I applied, not knowing Elvis, who, who my current boss is, um, not knowing any, anybody or having any ties to Bradley. And it was just kind of one of those uh, right place, right time sort of things. A few days later, I got a phone call from him, um, came down. They were looking for somebody to work with their catchers and, and assist with the hitting and, um, you know, basically kind of be the grunt. That's what the, what the volunteer position is. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to get it. And so I got the job and, and came down here, Bradley, um, in the fall of 12 and was here for two years as the volunteer assistant, um, you know, making ends meet, working camps like crazy, uh, grinding out lessons at night, just, you know, basically to be able to, to put peanut butter and jelly in your, in your cupboards and stuff. Um, and then from there, again, you know, not what you know, who you know, um, had met uh, the head coach at Quincy University, came and worked at our camp uh, several times, had seen him out recruiting. Uh, his name was Josh Raby, and he hired me to be the, uh, the assistant coach on his staff full-time um, after the 14 season. So relocated down to Quincy, Illinois, um, and worked there with, with the catchers, the infielders, um, and, and the hitters, and just loved it. Loved the experience there. Um, you know, for anybody who doesn't know who Josh Raby is, he's a former big leaguer with the, with the Minnesota Twins um, and just a, an awesome, awesome coach and just a fun guy to be around. Learned a ton from him. Um, you know, to this day, probably the best guy I've been around at just getting his, his team and his players to, to buy into a culture and, and really compete. Um, you know, and of course you hear all sorts of stories and different things like that from when he was in the big leagues, which was a cool experience as well. Um, but was with him for two years. We had two awesome years. I think we won like 80 games over the course of two years and some conference titles. And, uh, it was an awesome experience and really had no, no aspirations of leaving Quincy. Wanted to stay there as long as I could and, and hopefully would, you know, turn it into a head coaching job at some point. Um, but Elvis, the, the head coach at, 
at Bradley had told me when I left in 14 that if uh, the full-time spot at Bradley ever were to open up, he was going to call me. And uh, lo and behold, uh, after the, the, what, 16 season, um, he called me in the summer and, and said the spot was open and it was mine if I wanted it. And so uh, the journey brought me back to Bradley and I've been back here ever since. So this is my, my fifth year back at Bradley, uh, seventh overall. So it's been, uh, it's been a grind, you know, but it's, it's been fun and it's all really paid off now the last few years being back here at Bradley. Well, thanks for doing that. I mean, there's, there's a lot there, like just the mentors, the, the conversations. Yeah. I think one thing I, I want to dig in on and, you know, I speak from experience here at, at the high school level, but you know, that conversation about the sacrifices you can make to your personal life. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're a, you're a, you're a husband, you're a father of two, um, you know, how, how do you do it? You know, do you have systems built in place that, that you're able to do both at a high level? Whew, that's a good question. Um, I actually got asked that question a few summers ago by a, a young coach out on the road and I really didn't know how to answer it, but, you know, I think the best thing I've come up with is it's almost like you have to like live two separate lives where you're, you're, you're Kyle, the coach and you're Kyle, the husband and the father. And um, when I'm home and I'm, I'm with my family and with my wife, I very much so do not want to be anywhere else. Um, and it's the same on the flip side. When I'm at the field with the players or I'm in the office or I'm out recruiting or doing whatever the job entails, that's the only place I want to be. And, and so I have to kind of, uh, you know, compartmentalize it like that. Um, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. That's just, that's just what sort of works for me. Um, now I will tell you, and I think, you know, even being a high school coach, you know, this it, being a coach is a, is a lifestyle, right? It's not even, it's not a job. Um, you know, when people say, Oh, do you have to work today? I, I laugh at them because it's not, it's not work to me, right? It, it's, it's a passion and it's a lifestyle. And, you know, whether, whether my wife Shannon likes it or not, it, it's her lifestyle as well. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that she does. And, and she knew what she was kind of getting into when, when I first got into doing this. Um, but they take on that lifestyle as well. And, um, you know, they, I'm fortunate that they, my, her and my daughters both, both love it. Um, they love being around it. And, and so it is a whole family thing. You know, it's not just, hey, I'm going to go do my baseball thing. I'll see you in four days when I get back off the road. It, it, you know, they're involved in it and, and they appreciate it. And, and I think that they love it just like I do. So it, it, it's a good balance. It's tough, but it's a good balance. Yeah, I mean, thanks for answering that. I mean, that's I hit you with the heavy stuff early. Um, yeah, you are, man, coming at me. <laughs> but uh, no, hey, so now – five years at Bradley, you know, going into your fifth season. So what is your, what is your role there? Uh, position groups, you know, what is your, what is your duties as um, in your current role? Yeah. So um, I don't even know what my, what my title is anymore. It changes so much, but I, uh, I know I'm the associate head coach, which is, is basically a, a fancy way of saying that I'm an assistant. Um, I'm not the head coach. That's what that means. Uh, I think the best way to sum that up is, you know, I, I kind of run the day-to-day operations of the program. Um, you know, as a head coach at, at any level, you know, especially at the Division One level, he's getting pulled in so many different directions, right? He, he's got to be in meetings throughout the day. Um, he, he's meeting with fundraisers and boosters and donors. He sits on several committees with the ABCA and the NCAA, um, and he's doing a lot of big picture stuff for the program. And so I kind of run the day to day. And if anything, you know, comes across me or our other assistants desk that we can't handle, then we, we go to the big man. Um, but so, yeah, associate head coach, um, I'm our hitting coach as well uh, and, and run the offense on game days. I work with the catchers from a position standpoint. And then um, I'm our recruiting coordinator. Um, you know, so you wear a lot of hats. And I think that everybody does if, if you're coaching college baseball. Um, but you know, I'll be the first to say that everything that you do is a collaborative effort if you're doing it right with, with your staff. Um, and so we're lucky that, you know, the guy I worked for Elvis Dominguez, I'd be, I'd probably be in trouble if I didn't say anything about him, but just the the absolute best guy in the world to work for, um, to this day, the most selfless person I've ever been around. Like everything he does is to make others around him better. And, you know, some of the stuff that he's allowed me to do and, and given the responsibility to me, 
at such a young age and, and basically just allowed me to fail um, over and over and over again is, is something I'll never, ever forget. Um, and, and so he's awesome. And, you know, we, we follow him, right? He kind of tells us what to do. And we have a lot of freedom and a lot of leeway to, to do as we please, you know, with, with different things. But it's all under his umbrella and he's got his hand in everything. Um, and then our pitching coach, Andrew Warner, who's been here a couple of years, is, is a former big leaguer. Um, and and he's, done, <clears throat> he's done really good things since he's been here. And he and I, you know, are, are on the phone with each other or in the office together all day. Um, you know, it's bad to say, but during the season and during the busy months, I, I spend more time with him than I do with my wife. And, and so we've got to be close and have a good working relationship. But, you know, everything is collaborative. So yeah, we have these different titles and you wear these different hats and different things like that. But really it's, it's all of us. And we have another assistant as well, our, our volunteer. And, you know, we all work, you know, towards the same goal of winning games and, um, you know, developing guys to, to get them on to, to professional baseball or to life. So, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, so there's so much there. So I don't I'm trying to go right. Yeah. Let's start on the recruiting side. Okay. So you're out to recruit a player. Like, what are you looking for? I mean, obviously some sort of information have gotten you to the park. What are you looking for in, in a, in a high school age? kid? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the million dollar question, right? What are you, what are you looking for? Um, you know, like I said, it, it's a collaborative effort. I have the title of recruiting coordinator, but we're all, we're all recruiters. If, if one guy's going to try to do it, good luck, man. You're probably not going to be very good because there's so many talented players out there uh, that you need, you need multiple sets of eyes to, to see all of them. Um, but, you know, the way that we kind of do it and, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's right, but from a physical, a physical tool standpoint, um, you know, meaning the measurables or the, the body type or whatever it is, we basically break that down by position. Um, so like, for example, if, if we're going to target a, a second baseman, right. And I have the, I have the sheet in front of me right here, right now that, you know, us as a staff, we've met on this and it's constantly evolving, but we have basically the five tools listed in order of this is what we want when we go recruit a second baseman. And it could be, Hey, we want this guy to really hit first and foremost. And then we want his second tool to be hit for power. And then we want him to be able to run. And then we want him to be able to field. Okay. And, um, and so that's how we go about doing it from a physical tool standpoint is, is we look at it like that and each position has its own needs. Um, and it all, you know, with all of them, it, it formulates into one bigger plan so that you have a mix of, of different players, right? You're going to have some that are there because they're really good defenders. You're going to have some that are there because they can hit, some can hit for power, some can run. Um, so the physical tools we're, we're basically breaking down by position. Um, and that can be tough at times, right? Like you might show up to the field and you're going to recruit a, a left fielder and you want that guy to be big and hit for power um, and, and hit for high average. Don't really care about his, his defense. You don't really care about how well he runs. Um, you might show up that day and there might be a five foot nine left fielder out there who, who can hit like crazy and he runs like crazy, but doesn't have any juice. And, and you might say, well, that's not our guy then. And so you do pass up on some some good players, uh, but you just got to kind of stick to, to what you believe in and, and, you know, all of the time you've put into it. Um, you know, I think that with recruiting though, it, it, it's so much more than the, the physical tools. You know what I mean? It's, it's the intangibles. And, and if, you know, we all had a way to identify those, we would all probably be millionaires, right? We, we would we'd be making a lot of money because it's really difficult to do that. Um, but you try to identify it, you know, in the recruiting process, you try to identify it when you're talking to them on the phone um, or, or on Zoom in, in this day and age. Um, you want to see how they interact with their, their, their teammates, their coaches, their families when they're on the visit. Um, you know, you want to know a little bit about their upbringing and, and the way they were raised. And usually you can tell that kind of stuff. Um, are they tough? I mean, that's the biggest thing. Are they tough? Can they handle adversity? Because, I mean, you know, Tim, this game will hit you in the mouth. And if you don't have some mental toughness to go with it, it's going to be awfully hard getting back up. Um, so there's not an exact science, I would say, to, to figure out the intangibles. You just got to kind of trust your gut. Try to get to know the kid and establish a relationship with him over the phone. Um, establish a relationship with him on a visit and, and go from there. I mean, that's the... 
that's kind of the best way I can sum it up. A lot goes into it, but it's, it, it, it's tough to describe exactly how you know when you know. So think about it this way. What are some things that cross the kid off the list? So you get there, you see some of the tools. What are some of the intangibles that get him crossed off the list? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, if he's a bad teammate. If he's a bad teammate, we're, we're probably going to cross him off the list. If he's the guy who it, it, it's, you know, it's a me show and I don't care about helping my teammates win. I don't care about winning this game at all. I'm all about me and I'm all about, you know, getting recruited. Uh, that guy's probably going to get crossed off the list pretty quick. Um, you know, it, it's easy to say the guy who, who doesn't hustle and doesn't do that kind of stuff, like you want to cross him off the list. But then I think in the back of my head, what happens if that guy comes up the next to bat and hits a ball 450 feet? Am I still going to cross him off the list? Um, you know, so it, it's, it's the simple stuff, like being a good teammate, is he a winner? You know, you see so many kids nowadays too, that they're on teams, they're really talented players, but the teams that they play on, and maybe it's no fault of their own, they don't win. And at the end of the day, in college athletics and in high school as well, you want to win baseball games. And so you want to try to, in a perfect world, identify guys who, who can win um, and, and know what that takes. The classroom piece to it is huge. You know, it's huge. It, when a guy is a good student, especially at a place like Bradley, it, it makes it so much easier to recruit him. I mean, you're talking about saving thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars by having good grades and, and having a good test score and, and that kind of thing. So for us, Bradley is an academic school. It's, it, it is you know rigorous and it's tough to get in here. If we like a player, he might be the best player in the world. And we look him up and he's got a 2.7 GPA and an 18 ACT. Unfortunately, that kid has to be crossed off. It, it's just, it's not gonna work once he gets here. And in addition to that, he's not gonna be able to afford going to school here either. Um, so, and that's a big piece too. Awesome. Um, man, that's, that's a lot of good stuff. So you've obviously been doing this at the, at the high, at the high level for a while, like high school coaches, you know, like when a kid comes to you from a high school program, from a club program, gets into college as a freshman, what are his biggest deficiencies? Like are there trends that you're seeing where they're behind? Good question. Um, you know, I think, Anytime a kid comes in from high school to college, regardless of the level, it, it's going to be a huge jump and a huge shock to the system. Uh, that's something I tell our, our freshmen all the time is that I don't know this from experience, but this is what I say to them is that jump from your senior year of high school to your freshman year of college is arguably going to be the biggest jump in, in your baseball career, except for maybe that jump from the minors to the big leagues. Um, if you get that far. And so I think just by, by, you know, saying that to them, they start to realize like, Hey, he's right. And you know, your sophomore year, it's going to be a lot easier because you, you know what to expect when you come back. I mean, I know I went through it at, at stretch. I'm, I'm sure you probably did as well. Uh, everything, everything about it picks up, right? Not just the game and, and the speed of the game and guys are bigger and faster and stronger it's your lifestyle. All of a sudden you're away from home for the first time. You're living in a dorm. You're in a strange place. You've never really been. It, it, so it's, it's difficult. And, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily classify that as like a deficiency, but it is something that, that all freshmen have to, to have to overcome before they can, you know, really continue to grow. Um, as far as stuff that, you know, that like stands out when guys come in, I mean, we're in the day and age right now, man, of, of, technology is, is king in baseball, right? And, and all of that. And while that stuff is great and you're able to get a ton of, ton of information and a ton of feedback, there, there's so many guys who come in who can, you know, they can throw the ball 95 from the outfield and they can run a, a six, seven in the 60, or they can hit 90 on the mound or whatever it is. And they have all these measurables that are really valuable assets in a showcase setting, but they get to campus and some of them can't play. They, they don't know the game. They, they, they don't understand baseball. They are a showcase pony, right? They, they know how to go in there and field a ground ball and throw it across a diamond, make it look really good. They know how to put on an impressive display of BP. They know how to run a 60. They know how to throw a 15 pitch bullpen and showcase themselves really well. But when they get out there, even if it's in an inner squad setting and the game starts spinning a little bit and there's a real hitter standing in the box and there's real situations developing on the field, it speeds up on them. 
and it's really difficult for them to you know, catch their breath and to you know slow the game down, so to speak. And so I think that with our freshmen, especially on the hitting side, the whole idea of slowing the game down is the thing that we probably have to work with with them on the most. Um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, that's a cliche that goes back to like when baseball started, right? Slow the game down, slow it down. I can hear my dad saying that to me when I'm seven years old right now in, in Little League, but it's so true. And, and what I explain to them is try to understand what the ball is, is going to do before it, before it happens, right? If you're playing shortstop, go through, start going through the scenarios now so that when the ball's hit to you, you know what to do with it. And that's how you slow the game down. That's how you don't let it get sped up. Because if you don't do that, it's, you're going to be in trouble and, and you're going to be exposed. You know, one of the quotes I, I remember most vividly from college, and I'm sure you remember this, is, is Coach Lecky always used to say, this game is so mental, it'll freak you out. You know, and, and we would hear that all the time and just kind of in one ear, out the other. But it's something that's resonated with me. And, and I say it to our players all the time because it is so true. There is so much that goes into every single pitch in, in baseball and if you're not mentally and actively involved in what's going on, you're going to get exposed. Um, so as far as deficiencies, I, I, I think I hit on about 10 things there, but it's just the whole idea of they, just not being able to play the game of baseball and, and being able to slow it down and understand what, what's going to happen before it happens. Awesome. All right. So you hit on a couple of things there, but what we're going towards now is like the training environment, the practice setting. Okay, so, so two things I want to touch on. Yeah. One, you alluded to some tech. So at Bradley, what kind of what kind of tech resources are you guys using in your day-to-day -day training, either with your hitters, your pitchers, your catchers? Um, you know, what have you guys invested yeah. financially? Um, you know, so we're we're fortunate, we're blessed. We, you know, being a, a division one school, we've got a budget to be able to get some some pretty cool stuff. Um from a hitting standpoint, man, I'm, I'm pretty simple. Um, I, I try not to, to, to dive into the stuff too much, um, but we use a radar gun every day. And it's not like I'm a guy who, who's huge into exit velocity, but it's simply just for the fact of, I want guys to hit the ball hard. And so anytime we're taking BP, the radar gun is hooked up behind them and it's measuring every, every exit velocity of theirs. And there's a little LED board uh, at the side so that they can see it. And it's, it's basically just to say, oh, okay, man, you hit that one 92. How about you hit it harder? Because yesterday you hit seven balls in a row at 95. Um, and it's a way for them to compete with themselves. Uh, we do competitions, you know, amongst guys with that, where you get a couple guys who are relatively close in exit velocity or, or whatever it might be. So from a hitting standpoint, we use a radar gun like crazy. And, and it's just like, simply for what I said, just teach them to hit the ball harder. Um, our pitching coach is, is really good with a lot of the tech stuff. So we use Rapsodo on the pitching side. He could talk to you probably for a full hour just on that machine. You know, to me, I don't know what half of it means, um, but he loves it. And, and our pitchers have developed a ton since, since using that and having that feedback. Um, one of the other things we, we have, which is awesome, and this has to do with the fact that we share a minor league park with the uh, – the A-ball affiliate for the St. Louis Cardinals um, is we have TrackMan. And so TrackMan is hooked up in all stadiums uh, across the minor leagues. And, and the new one just came out and it's hooked up at our field right now. It tracks everything, uh, everything from, you know, batted ball data, um, obviously any sort of pitching data. Uh, it tracks like catchers pop times. It tracks home to first base now, how quick you get down the line. So it, it tracks everything. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, what I'm going to key in on with it yet from, from a hitting perspective. I think there's a, you know, a ton of different ways we could go with that. Uh, again, our pitching coach is a little bit more well-versed in all the technology stuff than I am. So he has a really good idea of, of what he's going to do. Um, but to my understanding, you know, for me, it's going to be more like, all right, I can look at a guy's heat map, so to speak. They give you a heat map and it'll say, okay, <clears throat> the pitches on the on the outer half, this guy's hitting at, at 92 pretty consistently. But hey, anything on the inner half, he's he's pumping out of the ballpark at 100. Well, that to me right away is, okay, let's identify that and say, hey, man, when you go up to hit in a game, your approach needs to be, I'm going to try to look for stuff middle, middle in. And, you know, if I'm not getting it there, 
then I've got to make an adjustment and, and so on and so forth. But, it, you know, in a hitter's count, that's what you should be hunting. You hit those balls harder. Um, your heat map is, is better right there. Uh, and, and so there's a bunch of different ways we could go with the track man. Um, you know, we do some video work. We have video cameras. We have a manager who films a lot of stuff. I'm not huge on, on the video and, and things like that, just because I, you know, I think sometimes it can, it can become one of those paralysis by analysis things where, you know, especially at a place like Bradley, we got a bunch of engineers, you know, they're going to get that video and, and dissect every, every possible second of it. Uh, but we do use it sometimes. Um, probably the biggest piece we use though, and this, we use it for player development and also for scouting is a video technology called Synergy. Uh, it came out probably three or four years ago. It was really big in, in basketball. Um, and it just became a thing in baseball. We've been using it now for, for three years. Um, and it, it, it is amazing some of the stuff you can do with it. So it, it basically allows you to, you know, put a game into the system and you can put on so many different filters that you can get exactly the information you're looking for. So me as the hitting coach, if I know we're, we're facing Tim Gotzler on Friday night, I can look up his entire season's worth of pitches. I can then put filters on that say, okay, I want to see every pitch he's thrown <clears throat> in the seventh inning against a left-handed hitter with a one-two count where he, his team is down by one. And I, I can watch videos and, and everything in between. Um, and so that information has been huge from a scouting perspective. I feel like we go into games more prepared than we probably ever have uh, the last couple of years, just understanding what the pitcher is going to do before he does it. Um, and then on the flip side, we can then go back and look at our own guys and, and analyze them uh, from a player development standpoint. Um, so, you know, all of them, all of uh, the tech stuff is great. It gives you a ton of information, a ton of feedback, but it's not, it's definitely not the driving force of our program. You know, we're still very, it's sad that I have to say old school, but you know, we are, we are at heart. That's where we're at. Um, you know, just for example, like the hitting side of it for me, it, it's, hey, man, we're going to hit today. And then guess what? We're going to hit some more. And then we're going to hit some more after that. That's how that's how you get better at Bradley. And so um, we use it, but it's not it's definitely not the driving force. Well, that's that's amazing. And scouting and everything you can do in, in game planning on both sides of the ball. It's just like a whole different level. But um the other thing you were alluding to in practices was, you know, you talk about slowing the game down. So how mm -hmm. systematically train that, you know, besides the talking points, like do you build into your practice planning, some overspeed training, you know, how, what does that look like? Yeah. I, I, I wish I had more ways to do it to slow the game down, but the only way that I've had any success with it, or we have it Bradley, I should say is by putting them in those chaotic situations as much as you can at practice. So everything that we do uh, in practice from a team perspective or whatever it might be is fast paced and it, it's put in there to cause a little bit of chaos. Um, twice a week, we'll, we'll do a, a, a live batting practice basically is what it is. And um, it's a drill I, I got uh, actually from, a, from an ABCA convention. I think it was Mark Reardon at Iowa Western who, who does it. Um, and it, we call it live dead, dead live. And so it's exactly what what it uh, what it sounds like. The the first swing of each round is is live. The next two are dead. The fourth swing is live, and then the one after that is dead. You have a full defense out there, um, and and you play the situations live, and you can make up uh, whatever situations you want. So, you know, the first round might be, you know, nobody on, nobody out, and on the live reads, the the infielders and outfielders and everybody on the defense is, is just playing the ball live off the bat. Uh, the second round might be a runner on first uh, with situational hitting rounds, right? So guys are doing hit and runs and get them overs and get them ins, and they've got to play them live. Um, the third round could be, you know, runner on second, and you're trying to score them. And, and the outfield situation is any ball to the outfield, you know, get them out at home. And uh, you can create tons of different situations, but that one for us has been the best. And I'll be honest, man, the, the first time we did it, it, it exposed everybody. And it made us realize as coaches that, hey, we might think we have them, you know, doing the right stuff and we might have them ready to go is what we think. But holy smokes, we looked horrible today. We didn't look like we didn't know what a cutoff man was. We looked like we didn't know how to run the bases, um, you know, to so to create the, the in-game environment um, and, and the speed of the game and the chaos 
is is what it's all about and what we uh, what we try to do. So as you're creating chaos, as you're going through, you know, your BP rounds and, and creating different situations, like is that a coach pitch environment, are you, is the guy just flipping fastballs in there? Is he, is he, is he got a live catcher? Is he throwing off speed as well? What does that look like? Yeah. So with the live dead, dead live, I'll, I'll typically throw it. Um, and I'm just throwing them BP fastballs. Um, and you know, but you can, you can do other, there's other ways to do it. We do two pitch scrimmages as well, where our pitching coach will throw it. Um, and basically you get two pitches to put a ball in play and you're basically just playing a straight up a simulated scrimmage and, and he'll mix in fastballs and changeups and, and little, you know, kind of spin breaking balls at guys uh, to make it as realistic as possible. Uh, there's a number of different ways you can do it. And we just, we try to mix it up and make sure they get it a couple times a week. Great. Um, now I want to tap into your role as hitting coordinator. And, yeah. Which, and I know you touched this stuff already. Are there any uh, philosophies or pillars or, or kind of always actions that you guys do as hitting staff? Um, yeah, I mean, score runs. That's that's what we try to do. Um, no, man, I I mean, you know me, Timmy. You, you played with me in college. You coached me one year. I was not a very good hitter. Um, I think it's the hardest thing to do in all of sports. And so probably more so than anything, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, I think that as coaches, we're, we're all guilty at times of overcomplicating things. And I, with that said, I just, I try to keep it really simple, whether it's swing mechanics or it's developing an approach or it's competing and trying to slow the game down, or it's, you know, team offense, which is, which at this level is, is what it's all about. You, you've got to find a way to score more runs than the other team. And you can't do that with one guy. It, it's, it's gotta be a team-based concept. Um, you know, so pillars, you know, the, the big, the big things for us are we're going to, we're going to score runs. That's our job. Number one is, is to score runs. And the way that I explain it to our guys is we're going to do that by having selfless productive at bats and the productive at bat system is something that we live and die by at Bradley. Um, it's certainly not anything I've made up. Uh, Sean Lyons used it here. He was the hitting coach before me when I was the volunteer here. He's now the head coach at SIU Edwardsville, but he used it here at Bradley. Uh, Josh Raby used it at Quincy. And I think the White Sox are actually the originators of it in like the 80s at some point. But uh, the productive at bat system is basically there's eight ways to have a productive at bat. And the goal is to get to 18 um, throughout the course of a nine inning game. And if you get to 18, that's going to give you going to give you six runs just about every time. Um, and so that is hammered into our guys' heads that the only way that we're going to score is if we're selfless and by having productive at bats. Um, you know, the productive at bat thing is big for us because, you know, at our level, in our league especially, we're not going to be able to go out there every time we play and get 10 or 12 hits. It's, it's just not going to happen. Um, I think I've, I've been in the league now for seven years, and I think every year I've been in the league, there's been a first rounder drafted out of our conference that's been on the mound. Um, and, and so – You've got to find ways to win games with five, six, seven, eight hits. And so the productive at bat system is something that we we always fall back on and really focus in on in the game. Um, so we're scoring runs by having productive at bats. I tell our guys we're going to have productive at bats by having an approach when we step in the box, by competing and by having sound mechanics. And so when it comes to a you know practice environment or a training environment, that's, those are the three things we're working on on a daily basis, our mechanics, our approach, and just flat out competing. And everything that we do practice wise is reflected in that. Those are the three things we're, we're trying to hammer on. And those are the three things we're trying to make sure our guys are, are prepared and, and, and ready to do. All right. So I want to dig in for a little bit. Yeah. The guys that are coming to play for you, we're talking when they're in high school, they are the three hitter, two hitter, player of the year in the conference, state player of the year, you know, playing on high level travel ball. I'm guessing most of them come in with sometimes selfish at bats. They come in because they were in the lineup to, to hit doubles every time, to swing on twos on 02, to be the guy in their high school team or their travel team. How do you guys get them to buy into this productive at bat system? Yeah. Um... So I think that you just described every high school kid who's ever come into our program, uh, right? I mean, 
Elvis, our, our boss is, you know, he's been around done doing it for 35 years and he's, he's big on, Hey, every one of them needs to be able to bunt everyone, you know, they all need to be able to bunt. And so they get in here and, you know, none of them can bunt, none of the freshmen can bunt. And, and he's like, Hey man, none of these guys can bunt. And I said, well, we didn't recruit them to bunt, man. These are the guys that are hitting home runs and doubles like crazy. Um, and, and so he gets mad about that, but no, honestly, what happens is they come in and they, they get dominated for the first couple weekends and they start to realize that they're not, you know, the top dog anymore. And so when you're down in the dumps like that and you've been kicked a few times, you're pretty open to whatever the coach is going to say to you at that point. Um, and, and so I think it kind of starts there. Now you, you hope as a coach, and I think we've done a, a good job of this, that you create a culture. Um, and I know that we talk a ton about culture on the offensive side here with, with our hitters. Uh, but you hope that you create a culture and where the older guys are jumping the younger guys when, when they're not buying in and they're being selfish, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been really lucky uh, since I've been here to have <clears throat> a really good core group of guys who, you know, all of them are back again this year for their fifth year, which they shouldn't have been. Um, and, and so they were kind of the guinea pig group when I first got back here as the, as the primary hitting coach that, they've never heard a different voice. And so whether I'm right or wrong in what I'm teaching them, they're bought into it. And, um, you know, just this morning we had, we had individual practice and, you know, two of our best coaches on our staff are our left fielder and our third baseman who have, who have been here for the, for five years. And they're purposely paired up with freshmen in their groups that, you know, we think are going to have um, a key role this spring. And I tell both of those guys, those older guys, hey, man, stay with him, stay on his butt, make sure he's doing stuff right, because that guy's going to help us win this year. And so we're, we're lucky to have guys like that. Um, and so, there, you know, I, again, there's, there's a number of ways that we go about doing it. But I think the big thing is we've got it to a point now on our offense that if you're not going to buy in, you're just going to be left behind because the bulk of the guys that are with us are bought in and they've, they've seen the success that we've had and, um, it, it's been good. So what you're telling me is the high school kid that uh, plays club baseball can come back to his high school season and, and, and play some small ball. And uh, that, that same a similar process happens at the next level, huh? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I think every high school coach is, is smirking right now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll stay on the offensive side. So you also coach third base, correct? Yeah. Okay, so – we talk about running the entire offense, running on third base. Um, I think this is a, an area that coaches would like to hear a little bit more advice from, a little more development from. So when I bring that up, and you know, how, how do you how do you get the most out of that position? Uh, you guys, uh, is it based on your roster, the type of offense in which you run? Um, you know, is it structured a certain way? Yeah, um, you know, first off, I think that you, you got to hope at the college level you're doing a good enough job in recruiting where you have a versatile offense, right? Your offense some days can can score by banging the ball around the ballpark, but maybe the next day it's 32 degrees and the wind's blowing straight in. You've got to win bunting and hitting, running and, and stealing. And so, you know, we try to recruit uh, a really versatile offense where there's some balance. You're going to have your guys who can who can bop the ball around. You're going to have your guys who can who can get on base and who can score and um, we talk a lot about, uh, we call it the unit. Our offense is the unit and they, they've got to operate as one. And every guy who's on our roster from an offensive standpoint is here for a reason. And it might be that they're going to get on base and they're going to score runs. It might be that they're going to be the guy who drives the runs in. Um, it might be a guy who, who does a little bit of both. And really they all need to be able to do a little bit of both. And so first and foremost, you, you hope that guys understand who they are and you hope you brought the right people in. Um, as far as, you know, coaching third base to, for me, it's been a relatively easy transition. I'm not going to act like I don't ever get people thrown out, but I send everybody, man. Like I, you know, I heard the quote early on in my career that you find me somebody who never gets people thrown out at home plate. You're, you're also going to find a coach who leaves runners in scoring position. And so, you know, unless there's nobody out, um, I'm, I'm going to send guys and, um, I was a little worried about that, to be honest, when I first started, just because, you know, a lot of times the head coach is the guy who coaches third base. And so, you know, just another perfect example of, of Elvis Dominguez being selfless and allowing me responsibility. Um, 
but you know, he threw me out there and I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to send people. If they get thrown out, are you going to be mad? And he's like, no, no, I've been there. Go ahead. Send them all. I don't care, whatever. And so just to have that, it's been, it's been reassuring. Um, you know, as far as like running the offense on game days, it, it is a, co- a collaborative effort between Elvis and I. Um, fortunately, he trusts me enough to you know be able to run plays and do different things that, that I see kind of necessary or I see that might work. Uh, but at the same time, at the end of the day, he is the head coach. And so if he wants something run, he does have a sequence of signs that he gives me from inside the dugout and, and I'll relay it to the field. Um, you know, us specifically at Bradley, I don't know if you want to dive into that quite as much, but like I said, you know, we, we try to be as versatile as we can. And I think the biggest part of it is understanding who your players are and what their strengths are. You know, so many times, and, and we're all guilty of it, we have a guy go up there and we ask him to execute a hit and run and we get mad when he can't make it happen. But at the same time, it's like, dude, that guy swings and misses three out of six swings anyways. Are you really expecting him to be able to execute a hit and run? And so it's, it's knowing your personnel and, and understanding what each guy is capable of doing um, and, and how your roster is made up. And, and so that's really how we, we go about it, you know, and um, I think that's why, you know, why Elvis has probably given me a little bit more freedom with the offense the last couple of years to run it is I'm the one who's with those guys on a daily basis in our tunnel, you know, grinding it out. I'm the one who's with those guys and, and speaking with them daily about their approach, about their swings. And so naturally I, ha- I have a little better, better, better feel for who they are than he might when he's, when he's, you know, kind of overseeing the whole thing, or he might be down watching the pitchers throw bullpens or whatever it might be. Um, so once you get a feel for who your players are and, and what they're capable of doing, everything just kind of falls into place. Awesome. Now I want to transition a bit to the defensive side of the ball. And I know you coach the catchers, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's a position group that I think there's such a, a different level at high school. You know, even within a good conference, you're going to have higher end catchers. You're going to have not so much And you know, like, so as, as the catching coordinator, you know, when you have a freshman coming in, where do you see deficiencies there? Um, while you're training your guys, like, how do you spend your training economy? You know, blocking, throwing, receiving, like, you know, kind of go into that for us. Okay. Um, so freshmen coming in, again, it, it kind of goes back to that. We're, we're in the showcase world a little bit. All of them can can throw the ball down to second base in, in two seconds or less now, it seems like, right? Everybody's got a pop time that is, you know, on par with Yachty or Molina when they walk in the door, so they think. Um and, and they're physically, you know, the tools are, are through the roof. It, again, it's, it's the whole idea of, of being able to play the game. And, I mean, you know me, Timmy, we've had many conversations about this. It, to me, being a catcher is the toughest position on the field. You've got to be physically the toughest. It's the most physically demanding. And in my mind, you've got to be the smartest player. You're, you're the only player out there who, you know, can see the whole field on every single play. You, you've got to be the field general. And so – that's the biggest deficiency you see in freshmen, right? They're physically advanced and, and it's crazy. They, they can catch, they can throw, they can do all sorts of different things, but it's the gameplay stuff. It's, it's the charisma piece of being a catcher, of being a, a leader and being the field general um, that you have to teach. You have to teach them to be loud. You have to teach them to speak up. You have to teach them to be stirred in whatever calls they're making, whether it be a bunt coverage or it be communicating with a pitcher or whatever it might be, that, that's the part that, you know, we probably teach and, and run into the most with, with young guys. Um, you know, as far as training and, and different things like that, again, I think it's the toughest position on the field. And, and so when we train, everything about it is fast paced. And I always kid with our catchers, hey, you're going to come, you're going to get beat up for a half hour. That's our practice today. That's what we're going to do. Um, I try to break it down into, into different days or different practices throughout the week. So typically we'll have a receiving day twice a week, um, a blocking day. Blocking might be coupled with receiving. Um, and then we're going to have a, a couple throwing days a week where we're going to do footwork and exchange work and, and throwing. And then once a week, we're always going to do what I call uh, CFP. It's just catcher's fielding practice. So it's all of the random stuff that you kind of forget about as a catcher, right? The, the plays at the plate, uh, back picks foul pops, um, bunts, you know, different things like that. So, so we'll go through that once a week. Um, but what I try to do as far as, as drill work in the practice setting, and I got this early on in, in my career from Bob Rents at UMD, he was big on doing lead up drills. 
And those drills basically were going to lead up to uh, a competition or some game-like drill of the day. That was, was how the practice was going to conclude. So when we do, let's say, a, a throwing and footwork and exchange day, they're probably going to do 15, 20, 25 minutes of lead up drills with exchange, with footwork um, and, and things like that. And little progressions to kind of get them ready, get their bodies moving the right way, that sort of thing, before they go out and rip off 10 throws to second base. Um, and I'm big on that with catchers. Everything is going to lead up to a, to a game like or to a competition uh, drill that day. And so that's kind of how we go about it. Uh, again, it, it's really fast paced and it's tough. And I want, I want that with the catchers to be a lot harder than them walking out there and catching nine innings. I, I want the practice setting to be more difficult, and more physically demanding. Um, you know, our starting catcher the last four years has caught every game since he's been a freshman. So you're looking at him catching 27 innings on the weekend and sometimes 18 innings midweek. So he's got to get used to getting beat up a little bit. And any time that we're in practice that I can beat up on him and make it harder for him um, than the actual game itself, I think is, is a productive thing. Now with, with the IQ piece, are, is your, are you guys calling pitches? Is your pitching coach calling the game based on his information from Synergy? Um, yes and no. I mean, he, he does. He has a game plan that he'll talk about with the pitcher uh, and with the catcher. Um, I'll tell you, early on in each catcher's career, the pitching coach is probably going to call 99% of the pitches. Um, very rarely do you have a guy come in who, who's capable of doing that right away and, and being able to, to call the game. Um, with our current catcher right now, he's a senior. He's been here four years. He's been around the block. So he gets a lot of freedom, and he has a really good, you know, good feel for what's going on back there. He has a good feel for our pitching staff because he's been around the guys for so long. So he knows what their strengths and and what their weaknesses are. Um, but, you know, our pitching coach, he calls the bulk of them, I would say, with, with just about anybody else. If we have a, you know, midweek game where a younger guy is going to go back behind the plate, the pitching coach is certainly going to call him. Um, you know, and me as a hitting coach, I kind of see both sides of it. Part of me being an ex-catcher is like, dude, just let the catcher call the game. That's what he's there for. He needs to learn and, and that kind of thing. But then I turn around from from the pitching coach's side, and it's like, hey, man, my, my livelihood is is living and dying right now with a 19-year-old kid back there. Would, would, you know, would you want to let him do that? And it's like, oh, I see what you're getting at. I mean, I'd probably want to call it too. So uh, it's a little bit of a mix. The pitching coach definitely has his hands all over it, though. Awesome stuff, man. I appreciate that. Hey, yeah. more questions for you. I know you're a busy guy. <laughs> You know, talked about ABCA, you talked about all the things you've learned along the way. Is there something you're, you're working on recently or something that you've learned recently that maybe you've, you've switched up a little bit, maybe done a 180 on? What are you, what are you working on right now on the, on the player development side? Um, you know, I don't know that there's really anything that I, I've done a complete 180 on. I will tell you this. I, I listen to, to different stuff, whether it be ABCA videos or, or podcasts or whatever it might be, or, or just hitting Twitter. Um, you know, and, and I follow and listen to that stuff and, and read it and do research a lot of times just to challenge my beliefs, right? Like if, if I'm, you know, I know I'm pretty set in my ways on certain things and, and whatnot, but I want to hear what else is out there and make the decision myself if, if that is something that could help us and help our program. Um, so I don't know that there's like any one thing that I've, I've heard and it's been like an aha moment and has made me, you know, made me switch or, or change the way I go about something. Um, but you read stuff daily on, on Twitter or on, on other, you know, baseball platforms like that, that might kind of get your wheels turning a little bit and make you look at stuff in a different light. Um, and so that's something I try to actively do. You know, the, the big reason I do that, like I said, is ultimately to be able to help our players and, and make them the best they possibly can be. But, you know, on the other side of it, our players have Twitter too. And, you know, they're going to see the stuff on hitting Twitter. They're going to see all the stuff that, you know, Josh Donaldson comes out with on YouTube and, and different things like that. And so I think I'd be doing them a disservice if I didn't know what, what that stuff was. Um, and I tell them, hey, listen, this is the way we're going to do it at Bradley. This is what I believe in. This is what we're going to go about or how we're going to go about doing it. If you have questions or other ideas, come share them with me. And I'd love to talk to you about them. 
And, and so you'll get guys who will come in and they'll explain something they saw on Twitter from, you know, some guy who's, who's got a cage in his garage out in Southern California or whatever. And, and it's the, the most earth shattering, you know, thing that's ever hit hitting ever. And oh, coach, I think I'm going to try to do this. And, you know, I hope at that point I've seen that same video so I can say to them like, okay, this is why you probably shouldn't do it. Or, Hey, I'm okay with that. I think that this could help you. Um, so I think just as a coach, it's, it's, you know, everyone says it in such a coin phrase now, like you want to be a, a lifelong learner, hashtag lifelong learner, whatever it is, but it, it is, it's true. You know, you, you want to continue to learn and continue to grow. But for me, it's, it's more so about, I want to make sure that I can help the players be as, as good as they possibly can be. Um, you know, one of the things Elvis always talks about here at Bradley, and he says it to recruits and he says it to our current players is, you know, as coaches, our baseball card is done. It's been written. The back of our baseball card is, is done. That thing's already been out and it, it's already been for sale. And, it, you know, either it's, it's either good or it's bad. But it's our job now as coaches to be able to help our players put whatever they want to put on the back of their baseball card. And, you know, that's what I, I try to do each day is make sure that I give them the most possible uh, resources that I can for them to be successful. That's awesome. I, I, that baseball card line, I consider that one stolen. Um, yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about just you've recruited some Wisconsin guys. You're a Wisconsin kid yourself. Um, you know, you know that you know, in Wisconsin, we, we have some other um, barriers we're fighting if it's weather or time with our kids. And, um, you know, when you think about high school baseball in the state of Wisconsin, what do you think of? Um, I, I think of, Right now, I think that it it's starting to spit players out like crazy, and people are really starting to take notice. Um, I would say now again, I'm I'm 32, almost 33 years old. I'm not going to pretend like I know it all, but I can't ever remember a time when there were there were first round draft picks coming out of the state of Wisconsin every single year, like like there have been uh, the last few years. Um, I think that's a byproduct of a lot of things. I think kids are just, you know, they're, they're more talented these days from a physical standpoint. I certainly think, you know, the coaching up there, just knowing some of the high school coaches around the state is, is awesome. Um, and so they're getting, getting really good information. I think the access to, to training and, and the travel baseball and the academies and stuff like that has blown up so much that there's reasons you're starting to see, you know, Jared Kellenix and Gavin Lux and, and, and guys like that coming out of Wisconsin. Um, and, and people around the country, I think, are starting to take notice that, um, you know, there's a lot of players to, to be had up there. It, it once was probably a forgotten baseball state. I mean, you think about when you and I were in high school, Tim, outside of, you know, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, one, two guys, maybe going to the division one level per year. And now it's like 50 or something. It's, it's crazy. So um, it's come a long way. And I think that it's only going to continue to get better for sure. Beautiful. Hey, why? Well, again, I got, I got to give you some, uh, a Bradley pitch here. So give us a pitch. Of why should we be sending your kids to, to Bradley to play baseball? Oh man, man, you're going to put me on the spot, huh? Uh, well, first and foremost, man, it, it's a great, a great school in a great community. You know, I could list statistics here left and right about uh, job placement rates and starting salaries and, and things like that. Um, but the academic piece at Bradley is huge, and it's, it really is a, a very good university. Uh, on the baseball side of things, you know, we're at a position where every single year we're, we're trying to win a Missouri Valley title. Uh, and for, you know, people out there who maybe aren't familiar with the Missouri Valley Conference, it is the top 10 baseball conference in all of Division I baseball out of, out of 30, 32 conferences. So, you know, you're, you're getting the best of both worlds um, with the academics and with the, with the baseball program. And over the course of the last five years, we're one of 22 teams in the country that have won 30 plus games and have had a team 3.0 or higher GPA. So, you know, we get a lot of kids who will come in and say, you know, hey, coach, I really want to have a good school and I want to go somewhere that wins. And we can say to them, OK, man, if you want that, there's really only 22 places in the country that that are doing that. And Bradley's one of them. Um, and so we we talk a lot about that with them, you know, and I kind of hit on it already. But we try to make sure that uh, as coaches and, and just, you know, everybody here at Bradley, um, that we're giving, we're giving the kids all the resources they need. 
uh, to be as successful as they want to be in the classroom, on the field, off the field, you know, everything. Um, and, and Bradley does a really good job of that. All right, man. Last thing, just yeah. empty out your pockets. What else you got for us? This is kind of where I shut the mic off and just, and just let you finish this off. So what else you got for us, man, what else do I got? Um, you know, one, one thing I'll say, and I, I know that these, these podcasts have become awesome for a lot of people because it is a really good way to, to learn. Um, and, you know, I think for guys to connect and different things like that. And, you know, when you sent me the questions over, one of them was, was talking about, you know, resources I use to, to, you know, try to get better and, and things like that. Um, I'm not a big, you know, like book guy. I don't read a ton. Um, I, I do read daily devotionals every morning just to get my mind right. That's a big piece. Uh, my faith for me is huge. Um, but the biggest thing for me, and I, I think, you know, you're starting to hear people talk about it more is, you know, just kind of a, a circle of coaching friends um, has been big for me. And I've got two or three guys that I, I talk with just about daily and we bounce ideas off of each other and, um, you know, kind of try to grow and, and learn. And so I think that, you know, in addition to podcasts and, and Twitter and, and different things like that, where guys are learning and, and trying to you know, trying to grow as, as coaches and as people, to me, that's been the biggest resource is, is just a couple of guys in my life that I talk to on a daily basis. And we, we talk about coaching, we talk about, uh, you know, our, our marriages, our careers, our, uh, you know, our, our, our strengths, our worries, our weaknesses, whatever, and, and we try to get better that way. Uh, and that's been, that's been something huge for me. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach Truen for taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down with us today. Um, this episode is released right before the start of the 2021 college baseball season. And after what happened to baseball across the country in 2020, um, I know so many are eager to see baseball get going again at all levels and to be able to turn the TV on and watch some college baseball this weekend. Um, another thank you goes out to listeners for taking time out of your schedule and uh, the positive emails and texts I've received. and. You know, this wouldn't be possible without your support um, and the willingness of our guests to come on. We hope that you tune in to next episode when we sit down with another Wisconsinite um, who's made his mark in the private sector and has really helped develop baseball across the state of Wisconsin at two different locations. Until then, have a great rest of your day.